Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, David Innes on thinking biblically about engaging politics. So know the Word of God, and just as you, knowing it, you bring it to bear on all your life, your family, your job, your friendships, your purchases, bring it to bear also on your thinking about government. You need to be aware of what's going on in your local civic life, state level, national civic life. And you need you need to know these things because you have a vote. You get to speak into this. You need to cast a ballot of judgment. And that is an awesome responsibility. So you better know what's going on. David Innes, next. Although it's the day before Election Day, many have already voted. As we prayerfully await the outcomes, today it seems appropriate to turn our thoughts to what it means to be a Christian citizen. Our guest is Dr. David Innes, professor of politics at King's College in New York City and author of a number of books including Christ and the Kingdoms of Men, Foundations of Political Life, and The Christian Citizen, Faith Engaging, political life. Dr. Innes, from a biblical viewpoint, what is required of a Christian citizen? Well, the same thing that is required of a Christian king. Uh, in the in the old days, there were kings, and they understood, Christ, in Christendom, they understood themselves as governing in God's place for God's purposes. And some were faithful in that, and some were not. Uh, and the Christian citizen, in a, in a free republic like ours, A citizen, every citizen is in the position of rule. The people rule, but we do it together, and we do it through voting. We do it through through speaking publicly. We do it through the jury system and so forth. So each one of us has the same responsibility before God, a great privilege to know the mind of God in terms of what is what what is justice, what is the the the, the common good, what is good for people, and then uh, uh, vote accordingly. Maybe even talk to our congressman. So that that is that is the Christian in politics in a free republic. The Bible doesn't make any direct reference to voting, so we're just obviously taking biblical principles. But what do you see as the main priorities that do drive believers? In their voting, and there are are there some that you would suggest that we might consider that the Bible would uh, lead us to. I think one of the most fundamental questions is what is dividing America today, mm. uh, and is uh, uh, that is what is the purpose of government? We're voting uh, for government to do one thing or another, to do more or to do less. But what is the purpose of government? You have to know what it's for. Uh, if if Everything has a purpose. It has a design. And if you use something for what it's not designed for, you're going to hurt people or break things. That's true of a hammer. It's true of a screwdriver. It's true of government, which is a tool. And and it's meant for certain things. It's meant to secure people in their lives 
in their property so they can go about their lives in freedom and undisturbed, uh, not being mugged, not being invaded, uh, this sort of thing. So the government helps us, uh, sets the conditions for us to do our godly callings, not to do it for us, but to provide the conditions for us to do it on our own as individuals, as families, as groups, whatever. So that, that is the purpose of government. But some people think the government should do everything. If there is a tear, it should wipe away the tear. <laughs> oh, families aren't too good these days. Let's make the government the family. Um, that's going to hurt people. It does hurt people. And understanding what the biblical role of government is then, that gives us our priorities or helps us with our priorities in terms of how we vote. Um, how does it help us at least to to think about how how to respond? Well, for example, government should protect people's lives. That's fundamental. The abortion question, is this a life? The government should protect it. It's not the government's business to be to be taking life, uh, but uh, uh, except through judicial process mm-hmm. against, you know, people who commit capital offenses or people who are invading our country, if that were to happen. Uh, so so that settles that question. But of course, what is a human life? What is a human being? At one time, that would have sounded awfully um, academic. Well, what is a human being? Today, it's up in the air. We can't decide, we can't agree on what a human being is. And then today we can't even agree on what we could. We couldn't agree before, but we could. We knew what a man and a woman was, and now we can't even agree on what a man or a woman is. There's. We are in a crisis as a people. We are fundamentally divided on the most fundamental things. So, as as a voter, uh, your your a Christian voter, your task is most fundamentally to figure out what is obvious and fundamental to God's creation, and then to bring that to the public square, not to bracket it, but to bring it to the public square. What is involved in developing that kind of, well, that wisdom, the necessary wisdom, the necessary discernment to make these kind of decisions? Well, it starts with knowing the Word of God. It's quite disturbing these days uh, the extent to which evangelicals, who used to be a people of the book, don't know the book anymore. They don't know basic scriptures. Uh, they're, they're not uh, reading the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures. How can you, how can you uh, live out the mind of God when you don't know the mind of God? So it begins, again, with the basics. Know the word of God. And, um, and, then, and then knowing the word of God know that there is a government above civil government, God's government. God, God is not separated, doesn't get involved in politics. He is the Lord of lords and King of kings, uh, Jesus in particular. So, so know the word of God, and, 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 and just as you, knowing it, you bring it to bear on all your life, your family, your job, your friendships, your purchases, Bring it to bear also on your thinking about government. But then that's the third thing. You need to be aware of what's going on in your local civic life, state level, national civic life. And you need need to know these things because you have a vote. 
you get to speak into this. You need to cast a, 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 a ballot of judgment. And that is an awesome responsibility. So you better know what's going on. So know the word of God, uh, know that God is God and above all things, and be, be aware of civic affairs and then, and then be, be, be viewing it through the lens of, of what you know God has said. And the role of prayer, we need to be praying not only for our leaders, as the scripture says, but we need to be praying for wisdom, don't we, in selecting them. That is a fine point, and I'm glad you made it. The, in thinking about public affairs, it's easy to get anxious. It's easy to think that the, the godless and the evil are in control, but praying for these affairs and praying for those in power mm-hmm. reorients your heart, re- gives your heart peace that God is in, in, in control. And then on the beyond that, he also gives you wisdom, um, which you pray for. Yeah, it, it quiets your heart, it reorients your heart under God, and it um, and God gives you uh, wisdom. He illuminates your reading of Scripture and and illuminates your understanding of of the world through Scripture. Yeah, um, prayer. I appreciate that point that you made as well. That God is sovereign over everything, sovereign over every election. The Scripture says that the powers that be, the governments that exist, have been ordained by God. Right. So we have to make the right decision that we believe God is leading us to make it, but then in the end, we know it's God that determines who goes where. Two, two scriptures, two scriptures. Romans 13, God established government for our good. He is over government. Now, he establishes government by means, sometimes hereditary means, somebody takes the throne, sometimes uh, violent means. We see this in the, in, uh, in, um, uh, in the, in the scriptures, you know, one king will be assassinated and somebody else will come to power. Well, that's sin, mm-hmm. but God uses that. But thankfully, he He uses a free people in our case uh, to do this. Oh, yeah, I was going to say Psalm, Psalm 2, mm. uh, where it says, uh, the nations rage in vain, and they say, let's throw off his yoke. And the Lord laughs. He laughs from heaven. Uh, it's like it's like uh, uh, the the Tower of Babel, where they built this great tower to reach up to heaven. Uh, and then it said, "The Lord came down and looked at what they were doing, because it's so small, <clears throat> and their rebellions are small." And the Lord laughs, and we, as as prayerful, b- biblically literate Christians, we need to laugh a lot more with God. Well, my guest today on His People is Dr. David Innes, and he's professor of politics at King's College in New York City. We're talking about the Christian citizen voting and biblical foundations of politics, of political life, of government. And I don't know if there are any statistics on this, uh, Dr. Innes. Maybe you can help us with it. We know that uh, the evangelical Christian world, Christian community, is not a monolithic voting block, although some people like to see it. That way, I guess the first question: Why is there so much division, even within evangelical Christian circles? Um, is it is it a factor of not knowing the Scripture as well? Is it a factor of our our backgrounds, our our various affiliations? There's the evangelical Black Church, right? Let's mm-hmm. not forget them. Yeah, and 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 we usually when we say evangelicals, we mean 
white evangelicals, although in those churches there's 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 ethnic and and, and a racial mix, right? Mm-hmm. So these are these are yeah, somewhat blunt terms. Nonetheless, uh, self-identified evangelicals voted roughly 80% Republican in the last two two elections. And that's been that's been fairly consistent. But nonetheless, uh, they vote this way for various reasons. Um and 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 the same with those who vote Democrat, mm-hmm. uh, so forth. In any group, you're going to have people who are thoughtful about what they're doing, and people who who have, you know, their their Christian categories all mixed in with their progressive liberal categories, mm-hmm. or their Christian categories all mixed in with uh, free market libertarian or whatever categories on on the right yeah so people are a mix mm-hmm. uh, and 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 Christians should be able to uh, discuss these things rationally soberly between friends yeah uh, the, my first book was called left right and Christ hmm. um, 2011 I think it was and uh, I and and Lisa Sharon Harper, who's on the left, uh, we wrote this book together. But and it was intended to get conversation going, and and show how the conversation can happen. But it's really encouraging when you come to somebody, uh, a brother or sister in Christ, and you disagree on on some political, moral, or whatever issue, and you're discussing. You say this person is is hearing. This this is a reasonable person. Now, this is someone you can talk to, mm-hmm. and we should all be that way. But um, you generally don't find it on Twitter. But these questions stir our emotions because political questions are moral questions, and they and they involve the most the the most deeply important things to human beings. And so it gets our spirit up, mm-hmm. our fighting spirit, and it and it takes discipline to say, David, in my case, calm down. Just calm down. You're, <laughs> don't think so highly of yourself. There was a U.S. senator several years ago that, that I, I don't know where he got this statistic, but he said something like fi- roughly 50%, maybe a little more, a little less, of professing evangelical Christians actually vote. And I realize this could depend upon whether it's a midterm election or a presidential election. But are, are there any statistics? I mean, is it roughly half vote and half don't? I don't know what the specifically uh, evangelical Christian figure is on that. I know that in a presidential election year, just over 50% of eligible voters vote. Uh, and it was um, it was higher in the last election with all those mail-in ballots. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if even if evangelicals were self-identified evangelicals were no different from um, the culture. The average, yeah, the culture, yeah. And, and reasons, of course, there are many reasons people feel uh, overwhelmed with various responsibilities. That we understand. And some may feel that their vote doesn't count. We always hear that. You've heard that through the years. Those are both real uh, deterrents, disincentives for voting, unfortunately. Yes, and, 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 and the Christians, though, have less excuse because if we understand things properly, that is, understand things as they really are, as we discussed at the beginning, God has given you a responsibility and you have to follow through on it. Well, I don't think it makes a difference. That's beside the point. God has given you a privilege and a responsibility and you need to 
to exercise and follow through on it. It's kind of like jury duty. Oh, jury mm-hmm. duty. I've got to miss. I've got to miss work. And my favorite show is on and, and so on and so forth. It doesn't matter. You have a duty. You do your duty. Hmm? Period. And you tell yourself, to, okay, now get in gear and do it. <laughs> like bathing the kids. What's the point of bathing the kids? <laughs> They're going to thank me. They're just going to get dirty again. You bathe your kids. <laughs> right. Well, good point. And we know that, of course, at this point uh, in the in the in the process, many people, I don't know how many, but many have already casted their votes. But still, some haven't. And still, this discussion bears on the future as well. Jesus said when he when he, of course, he and the he just repeated what was in the Old Testament, that the, the, the first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. So how does that flesh itself out in deciding our political priorities and how to vote, if it does? I'm, gl- I'm glad you mentioned that. That is so important. How do I love my neighbor with my vote? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a power up there. Maybe it's a local power. Maybe it's a school board. Maybe it's Congress. And they're doing things that are highly consequential for people's good or ill. People are being oppressed. People are being taken advantage of. People are being prospered. People are being freed to release their human potential in constructive ways or not. And you can love your neighbor by promoting what uh, what frees your neighbor to realize their potential or against what burdens your neighbor or corrupts your neighbor. And so you're, you're watching these people up there and, and you're assessing what they've done. Um, you're filtering through what they're saying because your neighbor depends on your vote and you on your neighbor's vote. So how can I contribute my part to elevating... Uh, being God's means of elevating people who will bless the community rather than burden the community. Love of neighbor is, in a democracy is all about this. And as you said, that, that applies to federal, state, local, across the board. Yes, sir. And, 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 and you've seen school boards uh, receive unprecedented attention as as uh, people have been seeing what's well as a result of COVID, I'm told people mm-hmm. looking at Zoom and uh, and seeing what's going on in the classroom and then paying attention to uh, what's in the library, what's in the curriculum, and and seeing how these school boards are actually thinking. Well, let's let's shape these children in these cutting edge progressive ways, and parents are going, I don't want that. And school boards are saying, um, well, we're better at this than you. And then, then it gets going. Uh, so yeah. How do you, how do you protect children? Government is there to protect everyone, but especially the most vulnerable, the rich, the powerful, they have ways of protecting themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, John Calvin said this, uh, the popes have said this, uh, it's there in the scripture where, where God talks about the widow, the orphan, and the sojourner, people who are especially vulnerable and exposed. And government should have a special concern, a special eye out for them, because they need government the most, good government, government that governs for their good. 
And so we as voters should have the same eye open for these things. And, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, a book that the late Chuck Colson wrote uh, quite a number of years ago now, maybe 20 or 25, called Kingdoms in Conflict. And, of course, it's in the scriptures anyway that the Christian is a citizen of two kingdoms, the kingdom on earth, the kingdom of our of the government that we find ourselves in, the country, the nation, and Christ's heavenly kingdom. What does that dual citizenship mean practically for how Christians live and how we view the political process? That awareness that of, of the kingdom of God, which is unshakable and universal, and the kingdoms, plural, of men, uh, and being aware that I am a citizen, everyone is a citizen of some earthly kingdom, which God has established for our good. But at the same time, the Christian is, is um, a subject of the eternal kingdom under King Jesus. And it reminds us that the things down here, these kingdoms come and go, uh, whereas the kingdom of God is forever. So our, our allegiance is first and foremost to things that are eternal. Um, our neighbor's soul is more important than our neighbor's uh, food and clothes. At the same time, um, that eternal king cares, uh, provides for our earthly goods, and cares about the justice or injustice of these earthly kingdoms. But we judge the earthly kingdoms uh, by the mind of the high king. So uh, people, people who don't have the kingdom of God, who aren't in the kingdom of God, and, and reject it. They, they make their judgments, but they have no grounds for them. It's just their feelings or, or the latest thing these days, the current thing. Um, whereas we can, in our judgments, uh, the Bible says, judge not, right? Mm -hmm. But when you have the mind of God, when you're speaking from the scriptures, you're not judging. God is judging. So when you cast your vote in judgment, um, and you do it conscientiously saying the Bible requires this. God, God says such and such, so I vote this way. You are bringing God's judgment to bear insofar as you are acting biblically, not your judgment. I don't know if the scripture speaks to this or not, uh, Dr. Ennis, but it seems, and I, I believe it's in one of your books, of course, you've written Christ and the Kingdoms of Men, Foundations of Political Life. Uh, you've written The Christian Citizen, Faith, Engaging Political Life, and others. And that issue of the view of government, at least broadly speaking, uh, that it should be perhaps more limited, uh, or is seeking for it to be more limited, or those that might say, no, it needs to be more expansive, less limited, it can do more to help more people. Can you talk about that? Why does it matter? And does the scripture shed any light on how, how to view that? Uh, if God has given government, he has given it for a purpose. We do things for a purpose, and God does things for a purpose. But if he's given it for a purpose, that means it's limited. It's for this and not for that. Right? He has given parents and families for a purpose. Parents aren't almighty. Parents aren't there to make all their children's decisions for them. They're there to provide certain goods for their children, to raise them to mature adulthood, and then, you know, step back. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so, too, with government. It's there for a particular purpose, to enable us, to help us lead the lives that God has called us to do, uh, to 
to provide for our children, to provide for our neighbors, to, to love our neighbor in various different ways, um, to produce wealth, uh, whether it's uh, you're an accountant or a barber or a baker or uh, a lawyer or whatever you are, you're, you're or a radio broadcaster, right? You're producing something of value for the common good, for the general well-being, and the government is there to provide the conditions for you to do that so that you have safe streets and safe water and and safe borders and uh, an, a legal inf infrastructure and things of this sort. But when government starts trying to replace the family, to replace the economy, uh, to, which they're which the wicked are happy to do. Right. There's a lot of power in government. So typically, who goes into government? people who like power. So, mm -hmm. so we have to limit it. And the founders of this country uh, gave us a system of limited government, uh, particularly at the federal level, enumerated powers. The co Congress may do these things, nothing else. So, uh, and that was, and that was godly of them. That was wise of them to do that. In one of your books, and I think it's the Christian citizen, and that you, you talk about something called post-resurrection politics. And I'm wondering if you can help us to understand what that is and how that can be, a, be an encouragement and a guide for us. Yeah, the, uh, it makes a difference that uh, Christ is risen and Christ is coming again, that he is, he is reigning uh, from, the, from the, the, the right hand of the Father uh, in glory. Right? Um, uh, it, it's easy for us to become practical atheists and in, in fear and in fear we lash out. Uh, at, at, at each other, and and we ex, uh, we become little tyrants or big tyrants. But of uh, uh, the awareness that Jesus is giving us wisdom, Jesus is in control, uh, allows us to pursue our uh, politics with peace and calm, and and boldness at times, but a godly boldness. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. David Innes. Professor of Politics at King's College in New York City and author of a number of books including Christ and the Kingdoms of Men, Foundations of Political Life, and The Christian Citizen, Faith Engaging Political Life. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Keith Evans on major reasons people seek biblical counseling and how to help them here with anxiety. He's saying, look, if your father... Uh, knows how to care for the birds of the air, the lilies of the field, and he has guaranteed to give you all things that he's giving you the very portion that Jesus himself has earned for you, and you need not worry about these things. You need not be concerned about these things. What he's calling us to there, what Jesus is calling us to there, is a confidence in the Lord, a trust in the Lord, which casts out those, those sinful worries. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.